Open up your books, you bad apples. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Bad Apple Book Club podcast. Lucas Snort here. And I'm Cole Lang. And today we're going to be switching it up a little bit. Still dipping into gothic horrors of yesteryear, but more specifically, we're doing something unprecedented on the podcast up to this point where Cole and I will, for one, be talking about Edgar Allan Poe, talking about separate stories on this episode. So it's kind of exciting. It's a little little thing I like to call a remix. A little bit of a remix. Uh, Switching it up, a bad apple uh, turnover. Ooh. If if you would. Um, Yeah, we're going to talk about Edgar Allan Poe, his life, and, you know, his stories, they're short stories for the most part. So, yeah, we got... We got some time to um, share stories that we each let enjoyed. So I'm going to be going over the cask of Amontillado. Uh, that one was pretty fun. I guess it's one of his top poems or top short stories of all time. But I didn't know about it, so I read it, and it was pretty fun. And you're going to be going over The Black Cat by Edgar Allan Poe. Perfect. Very cool. Are you ready to learn about old Edgar? Well, uh, even though I already know a little bit about Poe's life, it should not surprise anyone to know right up front that it was steeped in tragedy, much like our girl Mary Shelley from Frankenstein. A life surrounded in death caused her to write a story about resurrecting the dead or whatever and um well yeah we see a lot of the writers uh personal lives bleed through so we're about to find out why the subject matter in our stories is going to be so dark go ahead please yeah yep a very interesting life and yeah i'd imagine a lot of this sounds familiar because but yeah during high school we definitely you know read at least I would say about five Edgar Allan Poe's uh, short stories. So, yeah, um, maybe some of these stories are new, and that's pretty cool because I haven't read either of these. Um, so, yeah, he's just got a lot of lot of good stuff. Very dark. Y- yeah, very dark. <laughs> um, probably the darkest, some of the darkest subjects we've covered so far, I'd say. Yeah. So, but yeah, that that's just that's just old Edgar for you. Oh yeah. So Edgar, he was born in Boston in 1809. So when America was relatively new, and I'm gonna keep bringing that up because it's very interesting. And he was the child of an actor and an actress. So very artsy family. But unfortunately, his father left the family a year later and his mother soon died after that from tuberculosis um so yeah in the very beginning before he was able to talk or walk or anything both of his parents were out of the picture he was taken into the home of john allen who was a very wealthy man 
who was involved in the tobacco industry, but nowadays we just call it slavery. Um, ah. and this guy, <laughs> yeah, this guy, he uh, was a man of many trades, but of course um, he was involved with the slave owning uh, terror. So um, very rich, a very rich family in the East Coast at the time. So the family, they would go to live abroad for some time. They spent some time in uh, the UK, I believe. And yeah, so I, I'm sure that wasn't very common at the time. But uh, and soon enough, Edgar Allan Poe was old enough to enroll in college. So he attended the University of Virginia in 1826. And this was founded by Thomas Jefferson. And this was considered to be like you know, the new thing, the new hot thing, and this was founded by one of our founding fathers. Um, so that's pretty crazy. And the school itself had a very, like, student self-governing, uh, like, structure, which didn't work. I mean, if you told, like, 18-year-olds, because I don't know what the college age would have been at the time, but you know to go just like choose whatever class you want teach yourselves it's gonna be very chaotic what was the case with this what could go wrong in that you know <laughs> taco tuesdays every week um red bull in the water fountains no, yeah taco tuesdays every day of the week yeah that's my kind of taco tuesday yeah yep uh what could go wrong actually i would i'd probably go to that school uh, to I know. Be honest. I know. I would. Yeah, I love. I love Mexican food. I love mm. anything spicy. So, yeah. Um, but so this is where Poe. He was introduced to gambling, um, and of course, if anyone knows just a little about Edgar Allan Poe, you know he was into gambling, and you know he was into drinking. So he was getting into that at this time, and unfortunately, it would have a very negative impact on him for the rest of his life. Um, he had a lot of debt, and even though his father, or his adopted father, was uh, making a lot of money, he wouldn't bail him out because he pretty much saw Edgar as, you know, just a, a mess up, uh, a total mess, if you will, a hot mess. This kind of soured relations with the two, and he didn't really want to go back home because his father, uh, he just wasn't happy with Edgar at this time, and he had a childhood sweetheart uh, that he could go back to, but she was engaged. Ooh. So, yep. Um, but he'll meet her later on in life, so that's pretty neat. <sighs> but he'll be very later on in his life <laughs> um, but yeah so you know Edgar Allan Poe he's a patriot he loved his country he said I love these I love these freedoms the US of A give us so he decided to enlist in the United States Army it wasn't financial reasons it's because he was a true patriot and uh, ju just kidding that wasn't the case he was very poor and probably had no other option Aww. which Still happens to this day. Um, I mean, I enlisted for 
the benefits, serving my country, um, but Edgar, I think, was purely financial. So, um, and so while he was stationed at Fort Moultrie in Charleston, South Carolina, that's, that's where I was before, before I was in Germany, I've been to this fort, uh, it's pretty neat. And yeah, he has a little bit of an impact on the city, which I'll get into. But he released his first collection of poems that got like zero recognition. Um, and it is rumored that he fell in love with a girl here in Charleston, but the father of this girl disapproved. So they would meet up in local graveyards. And eventually she just died. <laughs> oh my god didn't mary shelley like to meet up with her fiance in the graveyard too or something like yep. that uh, that, was, that was the rumor it's kind of sweet it's kind of sweet it, though it is it's uh something goth couples would do at the time uh, goth writers yep and so this is supposedly the inspiration for the poem annabelle lee but this is uh, disputed because the origins are unknown. There's a lot of things in Edgar Allan Poe's life that we just don't know about. Um, I remember I heard this on one of the tourists uh, or one of the tours in Charleston because uh, there's a lot of history there. Very interesting. And Edgar Allan Poe, he did live there, but the chances of this, chances of this story being true uh, I don't know. There, there's a lot of stuff that's fluffed up, especially on those tours, which, you know, it happens often on tours. So Right. Um, but if you guys ever get the chance, um, I know vaccinate, vaccination program is going great in America, so maybe you can travel and feel safe to do so. And if you do, uh, go to Charleston. Go to Charleston. It's a fun place, and... Uh, there's a bar there called Poe's Tavern. Ah. And, yeah, it's an Edgar Allan Poe-inspired bar. And it's very fun. Um, all the menu items are named after, like, uh, his poems. Like, there's the Golden Bug uh, Oh, burger. that sounds... Hmm. <laughs> I'll have the Roasted yeah. Raven, please. Yeah. <laughs> yep, I'll have the Raven Breast, actually. Mm. Um... Yeah, and the the Golden Bug Burger made purely out of insects. Uh, good protein. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it's just a fun place. Uh, and it's right on the beach. It's fun. So, And so Poe, he wasn't really liking the army too much. I think he only served two years as an enlisted uh, member. And he's like, you know what? I got to get out. So... He contacted his father because you needed the dough. I guess this was just back in the day where you didn't have to fulfill your enlistment and you could just like pay your way out. I don't think this structure exists today. Um, there are ways you can get out, but I don't know if there's like a pay to play or pay to separate um, system for that. I've never heard of that. Huh. But. Yeah, this was the 1800s, so <laughs> different times. Different times. <laughs> um, so he contacted his father, and uh, so this is how disconnected they were. His adopted mother, 
just died, and his father didn't tell him at all. Um, I don't know, like, if Edgar Allan Poe was close to his uh, adoptive mother, but um, it's... Most people think that after this death of his wife, he decided to give Edgar Allan Poe a little bit of money just to get him started in life. Um, So, yeah. And Edgar Allan Poe separated after two years of service. So, after this, he decided to live with his aunt and her daughter in Baltimore. Um... Hmm. And her daughter, uh, she's she's gonna come up again. Yeah, <laughs> she is gonna come up again. Uh, oh, we all knew this was coming. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but he started to get some uh, good feedback on his like poetry and his stories, and he decided to submit a volume of poems that was uh, actually crowdfunded by some cadets. Um, because these cadets, after he separated from the enlisted force, he tried to get into the officer corps at West Point, and, uh, yep, just didn't make it through there, but he wrote many funny stories about, like, his, uh, instructors, and his fellow cadets loved it so much that they decided to pretty much crowdfund this, um volume of poems he wanted to publish so that was pretty neat that is pretty neat you know he never really got to uh serve as an officer but he had that camaraderie and isn't that just so special yes um yeah that's uh that's a fun part about the the military poe's pretty interesting because he was one of the first writers in america to try to make a living solely off of writing and to put this into perspective imagine if well (laughs) imagine if lucas and i started a podcast and got um you know zero dollars of uh revenue Ah. from it and tried to make a career out of it that's pretty much what edgar Allan poe is doing and he was just uh i have faith I have faith that that's all you need. You just need uh, hard work and a little bit of faith. Oh yeah. So, yep. Um, yeah. Like in America at this time, there weren't many laws involving copyright, so it was very common for stories to be stolen and just straight out copied, and you could sell them. And this was a very predatory. Uh, business because publishers could just steal whatever story they wanted and they wouldn't have to pay the authors anything. We call that getting Shakespeare'd. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And, uh, man, I couldn't tell you how many podcasts have stolen our jokes, our lines. Yeah. And have. Every time. On the Joe Rogan podcast. It, mm-hmm. just, uh, it makes me so angry. Um,. But yeah, like I said, this was just like, a, you wouldn't get into writing for a career. The, you know, writing was something for politicians, the rich, you know, Benjamin Franklin, he was a, you know, prominent writer. And um, 
yeah like it's just something you do if you had the money um and so during this time he also became an editor but was fired a few weeks in for being drunk on the job so ouch yep he's still struggling with alcoholism uh unfortunately and it will continue to haunt him yeah very unfortunately self-destructive yes very much so so um after he was like he was fired from this job as an editor he went back to his aunt and his cousin and well he just decided to uh marry his 13 year old cousin oh and he was 26 at the time so um i don't know man it's just don't don't marry your cousin and that's just weird don't marry 13 year olds I want to say this was a different time and is acceptable, but still... Different times. Yeah, I don't know. Don't marry your cousin Uh, Clementine. Yep. Oh, man. I just... I I don't know if they're blood, but either way, it's still weird. (laughs) Yeah, the whole thing just stinks. Yep, it's just... Come on, Edgar. Come on, Edgar. Um... Yeah, you you could have had a goth girl, but you went with your cousin. Come on. You could have had Mary Shelley, probably. Mm, I uh, think that their timelines do kind of match up. Yeah, yeah, early 1800s. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So, over the next 10 years, he put out some of his most famous work um, like The Mask of the Red Death, The Telltale Heart, The Fall of the House of Usher but the stories didn't bring him that much money Um, so Poe, he's just struggling for money, he's always drinking and it's just not a good time Um, so Poe, he was like, you know what, this whole writing thing isn't working out. How about I try to get into politics? And he actually tried to get a position in President John Tyler's cabinet, the John Tyler, who I can oh, tell you nothing about. Yeah, <laughs> um, <it's> <laughs> I knew the president song when we were kids, but I, if you just said John Tyler to me, I'd say, who's that? I didn't even know yeah. there was a president named John Tyler. Two yeah. first names. Um, all I know is he was the president before Lincoln, I believe, and he was the vice president of, is it Andrew Garfield, the one that died a month into his presidency? Maybe. Um, whatever president that died like a month in just because he was so stressed. Actually, I don't know what the the Uh, causes were, but uh, (laughs) I think it'd be funny if, uh, he was so stressed he just died. He might but, have been stressed. Yeah, but President John Tyler, vice president, uh, he took over after him. So, uh, yeah, so, and, and John Tyler, he actually wanted Edgar Allan Poe to be in his cabinet. And this was a big deal. But uh, Edgar Allan Poe actually missed this opportunity because the day they were going to have a meeting he became so drunk and he missed the meeting so he did not get the position so much self-sabotage 
Yep, and who knows? Maybe he wouldn't have put out more work during this time. Yeah, but I, I just don't know. But right. I thought that was pretty interesting. I had no idea. Um, but eventually, um, his cousin slash wife, I really don't know what to put, uh, started to show signs of tuberculosis like his mother. So um, it, it was a long fight. Imagine just someone that's bedridden and hacking up blood um, and they just can't really do much. That was their relationship for five years. And during this time, uh, Edgar Allan Poe has a lot of popular stories about beautiful women dying. Most of it's related to this event. He wrote it during this time when his wife was dying from tuberculosis. Wild. Yeah. Um, a very depressing time, but he also put out his most famous story, The Raven. And, you know, Edgar Allan Poe, he was making some waves, but once The Raven came out, whew, man, everyone was talking about it. Like, everybody. It, it, he became a household name after this story. So, uh, but eventually... Like I said, she passes away, and his alcoholism and depression just became worse and worse after his death, or after her death. And one night, Poe was wandering the streets of Baltimore, and eyewitnesses said that he looked delirious, he was wearing clothes that were not his own, and he was like saying something like, uh, he was saying some name, but nobody could, or just some words like repeatedly and nobody could really tell what he was saying and so he just basically collapses on the street and he was rushed to the hospital and four days later he died of unknown causes um some say it was rabies um excessive drinking but we we just really don't know how he died but his final words were, quote, Lord, help my poor soul. Good grief. And if that isn't gothic AF, um, I don't know what is. Just a tragic life, like full of death, full of darkness. Um, yeah, and it really reflects in his writing. One of one of the more interesting theories I heard about his death, well, maybe the only theory I heard, honestly, was that um, he was, like, plied with booze and he kept getting sent through, like, an election line, dressed differently so he could vote for the same person, like, being forced to by a gang of street toughs or something like that, and then they just beat the crap out of him afterwards or caused him to drink himself to death or something like that, but we'll never know. Yeah, I, I heard about that theory when I was trying to research it, but I had no idea what it meant. But, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, that was politics back then, you know, just a dirty game. Yeah, uh, back then. <laughs> back then. I'm so glad we're in a utopian world right now. And that's uh, one of the reasons, or one of the big reasons people were saying that was that, like, the clothes he was wearing, like, um... 
Mr. Hyde were just too small or too big or something like that. You remember that story. We talked about it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, actually inspired Robert Louis, Louis Stevenson. Wow. Well, uh, but probably not by his death, but by from his writing. Uh, well, maybe both. What maybe a both? We'll never know. What an appropriately mysterious death for him, too. Yeah. Yep. Uh, just tragic, like most of his writing. But um, and this this is something that was so interesting to me. I mentioned like how young America was at the time, and. Um, so, like, Edgar Allan Poe, obviously, he had this huge impact on literature. And it involves, like, this horrific psychology of, like, the darker, darkest parts of the mind. And um, a lot of it's, like, the first-person point of view of murderers. And guess who else did this? It was Dostoevsky. Oh, who could forget it? it to as the best novel of all time um and i I, so this is where my mind just kind of had like a huge revelation but like yeah edgar Allan poe was before dostoevsky yes i thought that since there's pictures of edgar Allan poe that he was you know somewhat recent oh but he's not and dostoevsky i think there's just portraits of him um, there's, I don't think there's any photographs, but yeah, Dostoevsky, he came around during the American Civil War during that period. But Raskolnikov, it's just basically the whole story of crime and punishment. Um, it's taking a lot of elements from Poe's short stories oh and making it into a giant, beautiful novel. Novel, wonderful book. Yes. Um. So I, that's just something that blew my mind, um, how like old Edgar Allan Poe was. I mean, um, born when America was like, oh man, 26 years old. So <laughs> about the age of you and me, Lucas, we're about, uh, we're about one young America. But, oh, um, one Poe's America. Yeah, one Poe America. Um, but yeah, I just thought that was so crazy. And obviously, a lot of his stories would go on to inspire Lovecraft um, and just Stephen King, Alfred Hitchcock. Um, he just really inspired horror for the next, well, up until, until now, really. I mean, it's just insane. Are you saying that Dostoevsky specifically actually cited Poe in his work, or you just um, see a lot of parallels, personally? There are a lot of parallels, but he did actually write about how great his work was. Wow. Um, so, yeah, that was interesting. And um, another interesting thing, too, was that... During the time, or, uh, America didn't really have that many established writers. Um, we would often steal stuff from Britain and French uh, literature and just kind of make it our own. But Edgar Allan Poe was the first person to be like an independent uh, <sighs> writer who made his own income. And it really showed 
the rest of the world that America could make um, some good literature. A true trailblazer. Uh, yeah, honestly, because before this, uh, you know, people were looking down on America and then... No. Um, you know, I never should have <laughs> looked mm-hmm. at us now. Uh, just kidding. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Edgar Allan Poe really made... I mean, people all over the world started to get inspiration from American Gothic writing, which just never really happened before. So, um, yeah, he inspired people all over the world. And I think his texts, like all of his... Uh, stories and everything are some of the most translated uh works so very nice especially during his time because everyone just really enjoyed his stuff so i thought that was very interesting it is yeah uh well would you want to take the reins here and give us a little uh well a short story called the black cat absolutely Okay, so as a bit of a preface for this, anyone listening at home, um, you'll notice that the same day this episode is going up, there will be a separate episode. Just a little mini thing of me, actually. The story here was only about 11 or 12 pages, so I actually recorded myself reading it for anyone interested in, um, you know, getting a full scope of the thing, even though we're obviously about to completely break it down here. And without further ado, here we go. Yay. The day before he is to be executed, our unnamed narrator tells us that while he's sane in mind, the story uh, he is about to account will sound otherwise. While a youth, he tells of astonishing tenderness of heart to a fault. um, By the way, he makes it sound interestingly enough. He says that he was just such a sweet and tender kid that he was kind of the butt of jokes with like his friend groups and stuff like that Mm -hmm. we're gonna see more of that like well more of that kind of stuff as we go into the story here that i'm pretty interested in discussing having been given all the animals he wanted by his parents and treating them all with great affection stating that cats and dogs reciprocate affection and care compared to man pretty much saying that uh well yeah he just wasn't getting love from anyone but cats and dogs this this dude you know he prefaces with like you know th- this story's gonna turn out bad um but uh i was just such a dr do doolittle you know it, i was just such an animal lover and i love animals uh and it, it just throws you off because it sounds like just a a good dude at first <laughs> he does sound like a good dude at first Years later, marrying a young woman, the narrator shows the pleasures uh, shows her the pleasures of owning animals, and the two eventually acquire a dog, a monkey, fish, birds, and a rabbit. They do have like an entire do little thing going here, but hey, why not? Yeah, yeah I guess I guess for our um, younger listeners, maybe a uh, Joe Exotic would be more oh yes um, appropriate (laughs) same exact person (laughs) yep the standout for the narrator however among all of his animals is a black cat named pluto which is um just a wonderful name for a cat i think yeah 
The narrator dotes over the fine and large specimen the cat is, thinking of it as his favorite. And it's just like uh, the Disney Pluto dog, you know? Yeah, isn't that kind of interesting? Maybe um, the creator of Mickey Mouse uh, was paying a tribute to Poe's black cat by naming a dog. Hey, here's a, here's something kind of fun to think about. Um, they're yeah, all animals. Just... They're all animals that can talk to each other, but they still have a pet dog. Um, yeah, you know, well, that's kind of interesting. A, a little bit of a dark side to him. You know? Oh yeah, he might have. <laughs> Later in his years, the narrator bends to a toxic alcoholism and lashes out in violence against all but the cat, his wife uh, included. Coming home after a particularly harsh night of debauchery, the narrator takes the cats avoiding him at great offense, and when he tries to grab the cat after it's, um, you know, trying to scurry away, it leaves a scratch on his hand from biting him. In a demonic rage, the man holds the cat down with one hand and proceeds to carve... Oh yeah, hey, this, uh, this story's gonna get a little dark, by the way, just a heads up right now. Holds the cat down with one hand and proceeds to carve one of its eyes out with a pen knife. Ugh. Waking the next day with nothing but the fumes of the night before hanging over him, he shudders at the violence inflicted by his own hand and feels he's officially beyond repair. That's that's just like something that I cannot uh, I I hate like any type of animal abuse yes like that's just something that makes me lose all respect for somebody once again think think of that too you know we talk about Frankenstein um, a lot of those parts of the book being completely ambiguous mostly where Frankenstein acquired the dead body parts that he used to make his creation but Poe this story came out in 1843, and he is, I mean, like I said, if you read the story for yourself or listen to the reading of it, this is all quite graphic, especially with his, like, he, dark, twisted way of writing. Yeah, he holds nothing back, and I love it. Yeah. Um, the interesting thing about him feeling that he's beyond repair is that he literally says that his soul is out of the reach of what I think he refers to as, like, the most merciful and awful god or something like that, which is just, well, this guy's having a bad time. Yeah. After a time of the cats avoiding him, um, obviously out of fear, the man feels the call of personable, uh, personal perverseness and hangs the cat with a noose in his garden for no other reason than the fact that he knows that it is a wrong and heinous thing to do. Once again, specifically in the story here, he kind of takes a dip into like philosophy and just says, who at some point hasn't done something just because they know that it's the wrong thing to do. He's obviously taking it to a complete extreme here, but everyone can think of a specific instance where they just yeah the sign says don't walk on the grass so you put your toe on it and laugh with your boys or whatever you know that's just in good fun though the the cat was pretty much a walking reminder of his criminal deed and he just couldn't take it anymore that's another very interesting part of it too is it was a walking reminder of the deed and this cat is showing him, I mean, before he attacked it, it showed him nothing but complete love. That isn't too common with cats, you know? Um, I had a cat, and he was very mean. 
Oh, I remember. Until he got dementia, and then he just loved everybody. So, so aww. Um, R.I.P. Harry. And I must say that uh, as I read this story off, I'm sitting on the opposite side of a couch from my own personal black cat who's just catching a little sleep. He's been sleeping for the last like hour and a half, and he's just precious. But really, he's having a nightmare. Oh. Uh, um, an hopefully, owner. Yeah, hopefully that is not the case. <laughs> it might be, though. He, he looks like he's sleeping pretty restfully. But it's so, in, it's so interesting because he talks about this cat showing him nothing but affection. There might be some kind of roundabout way of him, you know, personally feeling worthless or whatever that makes him hate that the thing shows him affection. Like, well, if I don't love me, why should you... Kind of, uh, you know, kind of an interesting takeaway, I think. Yeah. The night of the act, the man's house burns down along with all his earthly possessions and escaping with only his wife and a servant afforded to them by his now destroyed wealth. The next day, noticing a crowd gathering within the confines of Ash, the narrator works through the group to find what they're gawking at. The impression of a cat with a noose around its neck pressed into fresh plaster... Um, on the only standing wall inside the ashes behind where the man's headboard sat. Just the big imprint of a cat with a noose around its neck. Wow. Dismissing the phenomenon as nothing more than an onlooker tossing the dead cat through the window the night of the fire to warn him and his wife. Kind of crazy. This guy sees smoke. He thinks that someone was walking by and saw smoke coming out the window, and he grabbed the nearest thing, which was a hanged cat. Um, <laughs> kind of crazy, but I mean, yeah. I don't know. Honestly, it's all it's all fun and games to kind of laugh at how horrible that sounds. But I suppose he's working with a bit of a demented brain here, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, this guy's a little messed up, uh, just like our Joe Exotic, you know. Um, and there's a lot of parallels between this guy and Joe Exotic. Yes. Um, at, at first, Joe Exotic loved his tigers, and then eventually, he's feeding them. Uh, expired Walmart chicken. Horrific. And let me tell you, there's just nothing worse than uh, an expired Walmart chicken. He still finds himself haunted by what he refers to as the phantasm, even though he's kind of tried to put his mind at rest, thinking of why the imprint of the cat that he killed is in the plaster behind his headboard. That that is like weird, though. I I, I don't I don't get that part. Um, I guess it's just, like, supernatural? Well, see, that's exactly it, too. I, I've i read through the story myself twice, and I can't tell if it's literally, like, a burn print of the cat, um, you know, just the outline of it in the wall, or, like he says, if someone flung the dead cat through the window and it stuck to the plaster or whatever, because, oh. like I said, the plaster is not entirely dry. Maybe the cat somehow found its way into there. I don't know. Ghost cat. Yeah. Well, zombie cat, more like it. Shout out to Stephen King's Pet Cemetery for zombie cats. Yeah, good, good book. While out on the town one night in a drunken stupor, the man chances upon a large black cat strongly resembling Pluto all the way down to the missing eye, uh, with the only difference between the two of them being that this new cat has a big white splash of hair on his belly. Kind of like my cat again. Where his previous cat 
was nothing but you know pitch black all over inquiring to buy the cat from the bar owner he's told that no one has seen the cat and no one knows anything about it um Mm. so well i mean you can pay me for it but it's not my cat buddy (laughs) yeah yeah just hand over the good coin and it's all yours yeah i'd say one hundred dollars for that cat sir (laughs) All right, is that going to be cash or credit? (laughs) What is credit? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You're telling me I got to take a loan out for this dang thing? Oh, Oh, yeah, I suppose. I suppose they still had loans and stuff back then. I just picture, like, pulling out some kind of old-timey credit card made out of, like, a flattened-down rock or something like that. That's kind of fun. It has the, I think credit cards used to have like uh, punch holes in them or something. Something and they, crazy like that. They used to be the size of a brick. Yeah. Getting up to leave, the narrator is followed out the door by the cat, and the man stops occasionally to show the cat affection because um, it's following him the whole way home. Exactly like his other cat, missing eye and everything, and it just cannot get enough of this guy. And. Yeah. The man vows not to commit the same fiendish acts a second time. And um, they live happily ever after. Uh, Or wait, no, sorry. Sorry, I have a whole other page here. That's embarrassing. (laughs) Taking the cat home with him, he finds that it is a perfect fit for he and his wife. And once again, very interestingly, this wife has been going through quite a hard time with her husband being um, an awful drunk and killing the cat and carving the cat's eye out but she's like she thinks that it's like adorable that the cat is missing the same eye oh my god it's just like that one you poked out of the last cat oh now what are the chances of that you know and you can see the evolution of uh household husbands you know back in the back in the 1800s you had husbands that would abuse their pets and, and their wives but we yes so much that into the 50s um, uh, men just abuse their wives, but now, um, I hope things are better. Yes, uh, and let us recall too that he specifically, the narrator, says that the cat was the only thing in the house. His first cat was the only thing in the house that he spared from his abuse. Um, and yeah, uh. he was even he was punishing his other animals and his wife. Yeah, terrible guy. Yes. After some time, the narrator once again learns to resent and loathe uh, the cat, with it constantly walking between his legs and showing him constant affection, even while he sleeps. Okay, now, I was going to say, I don't mean to draw too many parallels between this cat and mine, because I have a wonderful cat, and he's uh, he's like my best pal. But um, right when I got him, the second I'd walk through that front door, he would be right between my legs and, you know, right up on my lap. Wouldn't even give me a second to kick my dang shoes off. But, um, you know, I mean, it's better than having some cat that uh, tries to scratch you every time you make eye contact with it, I suppose. Yeah, my, my biggest pet peeve. Uh, pet peeve. Uh, but Hey, with, uh, pet pet peeve. With, yeah, uh-huh. my biggest cat peeve. Yeah. Um, with, with my... Uh, late cat R.I.P. 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 Um, R.I.P. Was that whenever I was trying to do work, he'd always try to sit on the dang keyboard. Ah. Oh. Um, just like, 
Harry, you know I got a dang paper <laughs> due in the morning. Come on now. Come on, this... Harry. Unless he unless he was trying to write the paper himself, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Listen, these this English teacher does not speak your language, so please get off. Yes. Ugh. Um the narrator makes sure to mention that it's kind of funny actually because he says he hasn't had a a good day with the cat for weeks or months or whatever because when he's awake it's following him around um <laughs> a, a, uh what does he say pretty much like abusing him with its tender caresses it's every long. time he sits down <laughs> yeah and then when he goes to sleep he can't even rest peacefully because he wakes up and the cat's on his chest like looking him in the face <laughs> which once again uh that's pretty much exactly how my cat is what my cat likes to do is i'll be asleep for like an hour and a half and then i'll just wake up and he will have started wrapping his entire body around the back of my head on the pillow and oh it's it's wonderful but i every time i have to tell him you know that I just got to sleep, and now you're doing this to me. I mean, what's going on here? What gives? Uh, sometimes you just need a, a cat that helps you put, put you to sleep. <laughs> Even though he's or doing not. the complete opposite. But hey, he <laughs> falls asleep when he's doing it, so at least there's that. He's a, he's a dream catcher for you. That's what he's doing. Hey, um, he might be... So this is super late, and it's so stupid. But, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> so I mentioned, like, oh, you, you know, Harry, you, you don't speak the language, whatever, of, of, the, of my English teacher. And it just reminds me of this sweet old plaque we had at home, of, uh, and it had this cat on it, and it said, What part of meow don't you understand? Oh, my God. That, <laughs> that is wonderful, though, truly. Isn't that just kind of fun? That, oh, no, that's, that's a lot of fun. I would like that yeah. plaque. Yeah. Um, <sighs> uh, and um, interestingly enough, actually getting back to the story, at this, at this point, the white splotch of hair on the cat's stomach has actually turned into the shape of a noose. It says a gallows in the book or in the story, but I can't imagine that the shape took on, like, the platform and the multiple nooses hanging off. I'm not really sure. Either way, it's a very obvious shape to him. And once again, I think that his wife thinks that it's kind of funny that this white hair is turned into this mark. She seems like a fun lady. <laughs> She's just like, oh, the cat is just being so silly again. Yep. Don't you go killing him now, uh, Stephen, or whatever his dang name is. Yeah, don't go killing him, unnamed narrator number 79. <laughs> Making a trip to the cellar with his wife doing, uh, during a chore, the man is followed and almost tripped by the cat, sending him into the same hatred-fueled rage that caused the death of Pluto. Grabbing an axe... The cat is only spared when the narrator's wife prevents him from swinging it straight down onto the cat. Unfortunately for her, the man's rage knows no bounds and he instead brings the axe down on her head. Bad apple callback, again, crime and punishment, and he says that she hits the ground without so much as a groan, which uh, I thought was some particularly troubling um, imagery. Yeah, very much, and it you guys might have guessed it, but, um, yeah, the plot twist was he was Raskolnikov this whole time. Oh, Raskolnikov the whole time. Wow. Immediately thinking of how to hide the evidence of his act, the narrator considers different ways to dispose of the body, like 
dismembering the body into little bitty pieces and burning the bits to packaging it and sending it off with a porter like it's some like antique vase Listen, where was he gonna ship it to invention. yeah we got this new invention called the united states postal service yep and we're gonna test what they really inspect and what they don't um yep. and we're just gonna send this to an unknown address our motto is no questions asked <laughs> yeah he eventually finds his method in um, dismantling a brick wall in the cellar that um, had mortar in it, but since it was so damp down there, oh, that's kind of interesting, a damp cellar. Since it was so damp down there, um, the mortar hadn't actually set, so he starts to dismantle the wall and plans to um, hide his wife's body behind it and reconstruct it. So common in in ground post works, um, yeah. We're just gonna put this body under some floorboards. Oh, actually, it's gonna be a wall this time. Oh, yep. it's just gonna be some bricks. Yep. After concealing the body, the man turns to start looking for the cat, which he specifically blames for the murder. Interestingly enough, but this is your fault. Yeah, there is no sign of the cat, um, and the man is. Uh, pretty satisfied with the idea that his crazy rage that caused him to kill his wife sent the cat running for its life, which makes sense. And the man actually says that this is the first time he's been able to peacefully rest ever since getting the cat, pretty much. Um, even with the weight of his wife's murder on his mind, he's just in complete nirvana. Mm, disgusting. Four days after the murder, with multiple searches on his residence already carried out, the police appear again, turning over every stone in the man's home with no evidence of the murder due to his careful cleansing of the scene. The police again find nothing. Now in the cellar, um, they're searching down in the cellar again, and the man is quite confident that he's completely gotten away with the crime and wraps his cane upon the wall that his wife is hidden behind while commenting on the structural integrity of the home and immediately after the cane's ring goes silent a hellish mixture of a cry and scream are heard from the other side of the wall after a moment of silence and terrified awe from the police the men quickly uh, demolish the wall to find the source of the noise the black cat perched atop his decomposing wife's head he uh, he walled the cat in with his wife. Man. Whew, that and that's the crazy. end of the story. I, I didn't read this one. Uh, I haven't read this one before, but when I read it, it was just like, Zoo Wee Mama. Zoo was, Wee Mama. That was a lot. Yeah, um, that, one, that one's pretty crazy. But yeah, he's just like, now, if you'll take a look right here at this wall... Uh, <laughs> this is More. the best wall you'll ever see, and then you just hear this meow, or like a scream or something, and then right. uh, yeah, sure enough, um, there's the cat with its gallo be belly exposed and uh, on top of the wife's head. So yeah, that was a crazy story, and I'll say this: um, the best. Re rebuttal of alcohol 
uh, in literate, in a like a, in story form ever because this is um, during a time of his deep dark alcoholic uh, or alcoholism and yeah obviously this guy's an alcoholic and it's a basically a giant critique of it um, which is pretty interesting but yeah very very creepy and uh, just kind of fun story I know it's messed up but it's it's pretty fun I agree and any uh, other thoughts um just specifically the idea that I think the man obviously hated the cat for loving him so much because it was like uh, he, he loathed something that loved him who he himself thought was unlovable or something maybe kind of an interesting thought definitely like a lot of self-hatred that he projects onto people that love him and carry about him very much that's the um, word i'm looking for projecting yeah um but yeah this story is crazy because like um i mean this is kind of like pet cemetery in a way um like like you mentioned and Pet Cemetery actually uses elements from Frankenstein, and I see a lot of it in this story as well. So, um, yeah, I just think it's pretty interesting to look at these stories because I, I think there's just something so creepy about a dead pet just coming back to haunt you, and it, it's just kind of different. Or, you know, just kind of almost like a supernatural way about this new cat i guess or right whatever this cat may be we really don't know but yeah no um, no answers yeah so that's pretty interesting i agree now did you want to titillate us with the story of the cask of amontillado oh yeah wasn't quite sure how to pronounce a lot of the words in this story so i had to look it up i was gonna say amontillado but it Ooh. is amontillado Mm. Uh, <laughs> uh, I guess the way you could think about it is it looks, you know, it's got that double L and you don't say quesadilla, uh, you say quesadilla. So, mm. yep, and Amontillado is a, a brand of, uh, or it's a type of sherry, a sherry wine, and I actually try to find that today. Um, but all the stores are closed on Germ uh, on Sunday in Germany, so I had to go to the shop head on base, which is just like our little gas station, and yeah, they they weren't selling this because I guess it's a pretty fine wine. So, oh well, hey, um, if you I got a whole cask of it down in my basement. If you want to come grab it, man, we're gonna have to. Well, I mean, you know, we're, we're gonna have to go through a whole corridor to get to it but hey the whole thing is all there just for you man listen i i already heard about this story right. Ooh. <laughs> i heard that one before <laughs> um so the narrator of this story montresor that's his name uh, very unique name and i don't know and he's basically describing this friend and his friend goes by the name of Fortunato which is Italian for fortunate oh. there's going to be a lot of irony in this story and it's almost like a dark comedy but 
at first it's like uh cole i'm not really seeing the comedy but (laughs) (laughs) what are you talking about i was laughing the whole time (laughs) yeah you're on a roll so far oh yeah um but basically he's saying all this fortunato he's insulted my family name beyond repair and uh that's just too much like you can you can uh make jabs at me but once you sour my family name that's it i agree with that uh he tells us that he plans to make him pay you know he's gonna do a little revenge on this fortunato but he has to be very careful uh, because Fortunato is very well respected and even feared in this unknown Italian city. So um, maybe he's a bit of like a mob boss. We don't really know. But despite this, Montresor knows that he has a weakness, which is a passion for wine. Ah, <sighs> Just like me. You know, it's just like... It, I, I just love wine so much. You could trick me into anything. <laughs> uh, what is that? Barefoot? Oh shit! Mm, <laughs> oh, fish eyes. Yeah, is that a vintage fish eye? <laughs> oh man. Uh, but yeah, if you, if you got barefoot, man, you can uh, <laughs> convince me to do anything. I might just take my shirt off. <laughs> um, but. Uh, yeah, so one evening during carnival, which I did, you know, I, I think of American carnivals, and you got the rides, you got the clowns, you got the fried food, but in Europe, back before COVID, I, I didn't have the chance to go to carnival, but it did occur, it was one of the last big events before COVID, but basically, it's it's actually a Christian holiday, and it's um, basically everyone dresses up in this crazy dress, it's kind of like what people would wear in Mardi Gras, like you got jester outfits, you have like these weird masks, all all these things, and it's just you're you're because uh, you're supposed to give up something for Lent, and it's just basically this one last hurrah, and you're gonna drink lots of beer, you're gonna drink lots or eat lots of good food because you're only gonna allow you're only gonna have fish during Lent. And, ah, uh, yep. So. Uh, Carnival supposed to be fun. Some say it's even better than Oktoberfest, but I just haven't experienced it yet. So maybe next year. So it's during this time, and in, uh, but instead of in Germany, it's obviously in Italy. And he encounters his friend Fortunato, and he greets him. This Fortunato, he greets him with like excessive warmth because he's pretty drunk. And Fortunato is wearing motley. Uh, which I, di- I didn't know what Motley was. I just knew of Motley Crew, but Motley is like the clown's dress, a jester's dress. Uh, ah. like a striped outfit with the old jester hat with the bells on it. And Fun. he's wearing all of that. Um, so Montresor is really happy to see him because, you know, he's about to execute this grand plan. He's going to put a little prank on him. Uh <laughs> <laughs> and so he tells Fortunato <laughs> a little prank, you know, some might say it's excessive, but gotcha. Um, uh, but he tells Fortunato that he has large quantities of Amontillado, um, which, like I said, is a type of sherry, but he wasn't quite sure if it's authentic. 
and he got this huge quantity of it and they call it like a tube or something and it's just like i think it's like 50 gallons of it or something Ooh. But yeah it's a lot and he's like you know i should have contacted you before buying this wine but you just got to come down to my cellar uh to make sure that it is a Montiato, uh, because I just I'm not a connoisseur like you. <laughs> and by the way, my cellar is in the French catacombs. <laughs> yep, <laughs> it's very creepy down there, and it's actually a metaphor for hell. Um, Ooh. Uh, yeah. So Fortunato is very excited. He's like, oh yeah, yeah, of course, of course, I'll do this. And then Montresor, he's always he's gonna tease Fortunato a lot. Um, during this whole story and he says well it looks like you're having a lot of fun here in the carnival so i'm just gonna ask this other guy and, and we can try it and then fortunato is like ah no 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 yeah uh, he cannot tell a sherry from a from a a Monta, a montiato ah uh, <laughs> you got there um yep so uh he's like let me let me try this stuff and montresor convinces him to go back to his place but warns him that the vaults are cold and will make him sick because they're lined with uh it's n-i-t-r-e um the night night nature i i don't know sure but uh but basically it's potassium sulfate i believe but i guess it it's just basically um salt i guess that or maybe it's potassium nitrate. Um, but either way, it's this uh, compound that's all over his walls, and it makes people cough uncontrollably. Ah. Yep. So Montresor is like, do you really want to go back to my place? And Fortunato replies, you know, the cold doesn't bother me. Uh, and after, like, almost every sentence... Uh, Fortunato just screams out, Amontillado! <laughs> like, he's very excited. It'd be the oh, equivalent yeah. of saying, like, uh, um, Bud Light, you know, let's go get it. Oh, yeah, that's me. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they reach his house, and Montresor has released his servants to the festivities. Like, he's like, don't come back, because I told you so. You're my servant, and that's an order. And so they're all alone in this house, and they go down this long staircase to the vaults, and Fortunato is, like, coughing for, like, five straight minutes. And now this is where I say it's a bit of a dark comedy, because Montresor, he basically gives him, like, all these hints, like, you know, let's go back. Your, your health is precious. You're rich. You're respected. You're admired. Beloved, you are happy as I once was. You are uh, a man to be missed. For me, it is no matter. Yeah. Uh, so lots of foreshadowing here. Um, you know, he says, you know, like, I used to be happy just like you, and if you go missing, uh, everyone's going to be super upset, but for me, I don't really care. <laughs> and <laughs> so he'll drop a thousand hints, and Fortunato, he's obviously really drunk, and he just replies... Oh, the cough's a mere nothing. It will not kill me. I shall not die of a cough. And Machasaur replies, yeah, well, true. Yeah, true. <laughs> so, he, uh, 
this dude has his eyes on the prize that that cask of amontillado he's very amontillado let's get it uh, but I just thought it was so funny because it's obviously it's obvious that Machisor has some pretty dark intentions and uh, he's like I shall not die of a cough and then Machisor is just kind of like yeah well you're not wrong <laughs> so. he, he says I shall not die of a cough and then the other guy does like the um, gym thing where he just looks at the camera with that <laughs> yeah, like deadpan look gonna... on his face yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Machasaur is just like teasing him. And so Machasaur, he gives him more wine to calm his cough, which I don't I don't think wine would ever calm my cough. Like wine is, you know, usually dry and just I don't know. It'll calm something. Yeah, Fortunato, he just loves wine so much that solves it so fortunato he comments on how big the vaults are like oh it's so we've gone like at least two miles down here because these are uh if you guys have seen like game of thrones it's basically the same thing where uh, you know the starks have their underground um the crypts yeah the crypts yeah exactly um and this is Bontresaur's family crypt. And he's like, you know, we've been down here for a while. And he's like, you know, I never asked. What are, or what is your coat of arms? A totally casual question for that time, probably. <laughs> um, you don't get uh, asked that every day? No, sir. No, mm-hmm. I wish. I, I really wonder what my coat of arms would have been because Lang is actually pronounced as long here in German, so there's probably just like a lanky man on a shield, and they're like, there's your coat of arms. Could be. Um, yeah, so uh, but Montresor, he just says, you know it's this human foot, right? And it's crushing this serpent, and uh. stepping on him, just totally destroying him, but this serpent uh, he's fighting back and he's just like biting this heel obviously knowing that his death is uh coming and, um and fortunato he's pretty he's like oh shit that's pretty cool uh, that is pretty cool and, and, yeah <laughs> and uh he's like oh so what's your family motto again and he replies nemo me impun la siet uh, once again not proficient at latin but this is latin for no one can harm me unpunished wow yeah so this fortunato he's like once again a pretty cool family saying yeah he's like you know what there's a lot of foreshadowing happening here but i am not catching any of it there's a lot of uh dramatic irony but i am not catching any any of it oh (laughs) man remember when i was dogging on your family the other day bro (laughs) yeah Oh, man. They are getting into, like, the deep part of the catacombs at this point, where, just like in Paris, uh, the catacombs, the walls, or some parts of it, it goes, like, a row of femurs, maybe, like, four rows of femurs, and then there's a row of skulls, and then a row of femurs, like, four femurs, and it just keeps repeating until it hits the ceiling so it's basically that same one and he actually mentions the paris catacombs um which are pretty fun if you ever go to paris uh they're pretty cool 
Don't stray from the group. Yep. But it's pretty hard to get lost down there. It's a one-way path. But the catacombs under Paris are very expansive, and they go under the whole city, but a lot of them are blocked off because, hey, it's pretty dangerous. Ah. Uh, yep, so uh, definitely check it out. Um, and so Montresor, once again, he says, ah, you know, we got, we just got to go back because you're sick. You're, co- you're still coughing. <sighs> but Fortunato is like, Amontillado, and he keeps going. Amontillado. Um, yep. And so it's like, it's almost like he's getting Fortunato's uh, permission to keep going. Um, and he has like full control over him. God. And so out of nowhere, this was the part of the story that just kind of threw me off, but um, Fortunato just throws up the equivalent of a gang sign of today, but it's oh. for the Freemasons. Uh, nice. And this just confuses Montresor. And he, uh, Fortunato's like, you know what that sign is, right? And then Montresor says no. And he's like but i got this and he brings out a trowel which is just like a small shovel that you'd use in like a garden or whatever and he's like now enough of the freemason stuff i'm a real mason uh not like you weird cult uh we gotta keep going to amontillado and eventually they reach a crypt where human bones decorate the walls like on there's like four different walls and there's like a body there's like skeletons that decorate each wall and there's one wall that the bones have been taken down they're thrown to the side but it's also like recessed into the wall so like there's this four to five foot hole in this wall and i can't remember what it was called a a niche i think uh is the actual term for it but it's basically this hollowed out part of the wall where a statue of, or like art piece would be cool. Montresor he tells Fortunato that you know the Montiato it's right into right in this hole that mm-hmm. has these bones that are just thrown to the side, just going in there. And he does. Montresor follows him like right on his feet, and he chains him to the wall. And asks him one more time if you'd like to go back, and Fortunato just replies, Amontillado! Oh, wow. <laughs> he, he's in it for the long run, you know? He's here, for, he came here with a purpose. So, yeah, Montresor, he's, um, he's just taking full advantage of him, but Fortunato doesn't really, he thinks it's kind of a joke right now. And he still thinks he's gonna get his wine. So Montresor, <laughs> like, there's no no red flags, but Montresor, he starts to use like this nearby stone and mortar to trap him inside. And so he starts building up it up by layer by layer. And with each layer, Fortunato, he's like pretty much fully sober by this point. He's like, holy shit, like, what's going on? And he starts thrashing and screaming, to which Montresor, he just screams right back in his face, like mocking him, because they're probably about a mile into these things, and nobody can hear him. God. Uh, So 
just like your last story with the black cat like he's building up the wall and he, co- he continues to build it and as the last few rows remain fortunato just starts to laugh he's like this is a really good prank montresor <laughs> and uh you're funny you know, montresor yeah like because they're friends that's like the messed up part about this and he's like you know i got a wife that's waiting for me i got lots of important people waiting for me but this just doesn't phase montresor and he continues to lay like the last few rows of the stone and fortunato cries for the love of god montresor and then montresor replies yes for the love of god Uh and he just keeps on building the wall and so that's a pretty neat quote when Fortunato says for the love of God Montresor because it could either be like him crying out to God for like one last saving throw or it could be him just wow like God has forgotten about me there's literally nothing I can do like I live in a godless world right now so yeah very intense and then when Montresor replies yes for the love of god he's like yeah i'm doing this because uh it's for god no no it's like um i'm I'm doing this because it's fun kind of thing like uh he's doing it for the love of god which is pretty messed up and fortunato he like isn't responding to montresor at this point because Montresor is expecting him to be at the height of his screaming, his begging. And that's when he was having the most fun. But once he's laying like this final layer, Fortunato is just completely silent. And so Montresor just start, starts screaming out, Fortunato! And of course, he's not replying. He only hears the bells on Fortunato's jester hat ring. Um, which he gets no joy out of this. Like, he was getting joy out of the pain and suffering. So this makes his heart sick because at this point, Fortunato is kind of winning because, right. uh, you know, he isn't giving Montresor what he wants. And Montresor, he quickly wraps it up he's like actually i'm not feeling too bad it's just the catacombs you know it's it's just all the crazy stuff that's on the walls that's making me feel bad all this gloom's got me down (laughs) yeah all this uh torture is just uh, it's really putting real a big damper in my week really um and so with one brick left he throws a torch in there with fortunato and he places the last brick and he says quote for half a century, no mortal has disturbed them. In pace, requisisat. Uh, once again, it's Latin, but basically... Beautiful says, reading. Yeah. Basically, he says, may he rest in peace. So, yeah, that was... Uh, I, I had no idea what this story was about, but it turned out to be pretty interesting. Yeah, we both... Um unintentionally picked stories with very similar themes yeah lots of wall building you know yeah think of think of uh that must be kind of exhausting because if i'm not mistaken in the cask he says that he puts like uh, 11 layers of bricks down and that can't be easy or quick work you know 
yeah, this is a very slow process, but uh, Montresor was definitely enjoying it. And both of these were from the perspective of murderers, so that was very interesting. And just like we said, guess who did that later on in life? It was Dostoevsky. So, uh, yeah, definitely some groundbreaking short stories here um, because the perspective of a killer, like, that just wasn't really done before. Um, but yeah, this was a pretty fun story because one of my favorite things is uh, about this is the setting. It's during carnival, during like a very fun time. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, you, you know, there might be some like happy stuff going on in the world. But in these dark recesses of like basements and shit, there's some terrible stuff going on. And, uh, you know, I, I hinted at it, but these catacombs are basically a metaphor for hell. And unfortunately, Fortunato, he uh, would have to spend about, you know, a, quite a long time in his own personal hell, just trapped behind there, chained up. So, yeah, pretty intense. Yeah. Um, speaking of that story, I actually heard that it was a bit of a rumor that Poe wrote the um, Fortunato part in place of a personal critic of his. Oh, I could see that. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then that guy, he read um, the cask, and he's like, all right, you know what, maybe no more criticizing Poe. <laughs> yeah, this Poe guy, um, he writes a lot of scary stuff, stuff that we wouldn't have even thought about, so maybe I should stop criticizing him. Yeah, and this one is specifically, um, this, this critic that he's shackling up and um, walling off sounds a lot like me. Yeah. <laughs> yep, just kind of a goofball, loves his wine, you know, but I got nothing to worry about, right? Right? Very good. Yep. Two very fun stories. The ones that I was unfamiliar with. Like, I, I just know what we read from high school, and that was honestly about it. So it is pretty fun going back into Edgar Allan Poe. And... Just discovering some new stuff that has uh, really changed the path of horror. So, If you didn't have anything else to say about it, actually, this will be part one of a little two-parter while we gear up for our next big book that we'll be covering. Yeah. So, so more Poe next week, baby. And then you'll get to find out a big project where, uh, well, not projects, but a big uh i guess you could say goliath of gothic horror it's a big uh, book i'm having a lot of fun with it so far i'm about halfway through yep so but we'll be back with a little bit more edgar Allan poe next week but uh after that we will start our new series so but we hope you guys enjoyed listening to this one we know it's a bit explicit but uh i mean it's just fun so yeah, I hope you guys have a, a great week out there. Check out our websites, you know, check out Instagram. Yep. Check out our shop if you want. We got stickers, we got some cool stuff on there. And uh, yeah, we'll catch you guys next time. Have a nice day.
and then if you have trouble with that podcast, you call me. Of course. You know. Oh yeah. I can always do nothing with it. <laughs>